Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Grief Growers, I am also setting sail on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise to join me and a boatload of other grieving hearts as we travel to Haiti, Jamaica, and Mexico. Go to www.comingbackcruise.com where you can sign up to receive more information on the cruise's sail dates, grief presenters, and onboard activities. I'll see you on the open seas. Hi there. And welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Kathy Cheshire, master grief coach and author of Thriving After the Death of a Child, about her lifetime of losses and the tools that she uses to reframe how she thinks about grief and loss. Also on the show today, I'm talking about the role of intuition in grief. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Just a quick reminder that my next monthly Google Hangout is on October 22nd at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. I have opened this hour-long live event to all Patreon supporters. So if you're looking for some grief support and are willing to pledge a dollar a month or more to support the show, I would absolutely love to see you there as a part of the group. As soon as you pledge, you'll get instant access to the link to join us, and I will be live there on October 22nd for a full hour, answering your questions about grief and loss and talking about all the different ways that we come back to our lives again. You can pledge to support the show and unlock the link now at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia, and you can also always find that link in the show notes. Just yesterday, I was interviewed on a radio show, uh, KDWA 1460 AM FM 97.7 by Mitch Carmody and his co-host. Mitch is actually going to be joining me on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise in March of next year. And so many of us presenters on the cruise have been doing radio and podcast and video and social media swapping uh, in an effort to promote the cruise and to kind of share our message across each other's platforms because our stories of loss are so different, but we'll all be coming together on the boat to share our expertise on grief together. So I was interviewed on his show uh, just yesterday, and our time together was short and sweet. And of course, I'll post a replay of it for you as soon as it's uh, completed, Grief Growers. But I got asked a lot in this interview about my intuition and the role that my intuition plays in grief. And it was really fascinating to me because while I talk about intuition on this show a lot as a component of grief and the aftermath of loss and intuition kind of 
coming into play. I don't talk a lot about my personal experience with intuition very often. So I call myself an intuitive grief guide. uh, And I call myself that because what I do, or what I think I do, I suppose I'm laughing at myself as I say this out loud, is a combination of logistical tools, things you can put your hands on, and energy, the things you can't really put your hands on. I touched on this dichotomy a little bit when I spoke to Sharon Ellers on her Facebook Live series, which is called Grief and Healing Corner. You can find our interview there on her page. And the more I work with grief, the more I'm recognizing that coming back from the worst moments of our life, these universe rearranging losses, the more I work with grief, the more I find that it's a combination of tools and words and structure and plans and energy and feelings and intuitive nudges from our spirits and our energy. So the magic of coming back, the spark of coming back, and kind of the the rekindling of some life and some vibrancy in our lives and feeling like we've started to take direction down the path of coming back, that happens when we act on what our hearts want from us, the intuitive component, and we're able to put words and a framework around it. So kind of like the logical, verbal brain component. So for me, an intuitive grief guide is somebody that can see and mark the way through loss. There's the component of guiding, of knowing the way, of having been there before. But an intuitive grief guide is also someone that asks a lot of questions and tunes into the energy that's being absorbed and the energy that's being put out while the journey is happening. So always kind of touching base and circling back as the journey of grief is happening. I've never really broken this down on the show before. And so it was so fascinating to be asked about my intuition yesterday. So intuition to me, as an intuitive grief guide, as someone who has experienced the emotions and just the the experience of grief, I found that it's a delicate balance of both guiding and listening, always holding my own energy and having boundaries that surround that, but also literally looking around a room and paying attention to the energy of others. What are they absorbing? What are they putting out? What am I surrounded by? What am I marinating in? I hope you'll listen to this interview, Grief Growers. It was it was really interesting to me and eye-opening to me because as I was being asked these questions, they weren't your typical, you know, share with us your lost story. What's one thing that helped you come back? What will you be presenting on the bereavement cruise? It was how does your intuition work? How is it different, you know, before and after the loss of your mother? I, I was asked to explain my intuitive gifts in a way that I've never been asked to elaborate on them before. And I was kind of, I was pleasantly surprised by the words that came out of my mouth to define them because in some ways words fail. It's it's very much an energetic experience to be an intuitive creature. I know a lot of you can identify with this, um, but to put them into words and to be on a radio show being asked about intuition was just so cool and so fascinating. So I'll be sharing that with you as soon as I have the link for it. And uh, as we go forward into the show, today, see if you can find traces of my intuition coming through or in previous episodes of coming back. It appears there too. Uh, It shows up in the way I interview where I'll start saying things like I'm curious about or can you talk more about XYZ? 
Uh, it also comes through in me getting and describing visuals of waves or of trees, or sometimes I'll have phrases that just pop into my mind or I'll write them down as I'm talking to somebody. And it, it provides a, a jumping off point for the next road that we take, the next series of questions. In this interview today with Kathy Cheshire, I actually get chills when she speaks her truth about what it's like to be a person who helps others through grief because her truth resonates with my truth. So getting chills, as so many of you regular listeners know, is such a big part of intuition for me too. And I, I didn't used to be so tuned in, grief growers. It it took the death of my mother to get me super in touch with my gut feelings and also brave enough or uh, kind of like a bold recklessness enough to voice them. It also brought me incredible insight and direction as I've progressed forward in the world without my mother. So intuition is very much a compass, but it's also, I know Glennon Doyle Melton describes it as the still small voice, kind of something I'm doing, uh, uh, I'm reenacting things with my hands here. I know you can never see my hands on the other side of the mic, but I have my thumb sticking out. It's something I can keep my pulse on. I'm holding my thumb to my desk right now. So intuition acts as a guide, but it also provides kind of this constant pulse on where are you? How are you feeling? What are we doing? Is our heart in this? And, um, and, and what direction comes next? So always this pulse on what's coming soon. And I've, I'm just been so appreciative of how it's grown with time and in my grief. And of course, doing this show and knowing all of you as well. I'm curious this week how your intuition has shown up in the aftermath of loss. Do you know what it feels like? Can you distinguish between your energy and the energy of others? Do you act on your intuition or do you struggle to believe that it's true or that it's real, which is also totally normal? I would absolutely love to have a discussion with you in the Grief Growers Garden, my private Facebook group this week, about intuition and the role that it plays in grief. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and your experience with it. Uh, and of course, again, I'll be posting this interview I did with Mitch Carmody on grief and intuition on all of my social media as soon as it's live so you can listen to it too. Up next, my interview with master grief coach and author Kathy Cheshire, who believes that grievers have the power to heal themselves if they can change the way they think. In honor of her two deceased sons, Kathy Cheshire left a 30-year successful business career in healthcare to become a grief coach, author, and speaker. After extensive and diverse grief education, she founded the online Master Grief Coach Certification Training Program. Her book, Thriving After the Death of a Child, is now on major internet bookstores. She has a Bachelor of Science degree from Arizona State University, and you can follow her at www.kathycheshire.com, where you can find the training module, Understanding Grief and Healing, her blog, interviews she has done, resources, and information about the March 2019 bereavement cruise, which I'll be attending as well. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today on the show and for being so willing to share your loss story and for telling us how you're going to be involved with the upcoming bereavement cruise. And I will start off our interview today the same way I start off all of our coming back interviews by asking you to share with us your loss story. I'm very grateful to be here, Shelby, and so thankful for what you're doing. 
I have had a lifetime of loss. 20 years ago as adults, an older sibling and I talked about babysitter abuse when we were young. We were then ostracized by our parents and three younger siblings, and I haven't seen them since. I had at the same time a family tried to die by suicide and struggle with addiction, and I felt very lost. I grew up in a very strict family, and my mother was depressed and anxious. My father was domineering, and I was desperate for love. So I ended up going through three divorces. Eleven years ago, my only child from the second marriage died in a car accident when he was only 16. I had put my whole life into that relationship with him. We were so close. It was the first time I had experienced unconditional love. A year before he died, I met my fourth wonderful husband because I learned that I needed to be patient and discover what a person was really like. And he held my hand through darkness. I used to think of love as flowers and trips and kisses, and I really experienced an amazing love because he pretty much waited for me to come back to fully living, which took three years. I barely existed. So his he had a lot of experience with grief because his first wife died at age of 36. She went in the hospital and died a week later from an infection when their only child was 11. So I met him when he was 18 years old, and he really struggled with life. He struggled with that death, and he missed his mom. We had a great relationship, but he wanted his biological mom. They were close, and uh, he ended up also getting an infection that, at 29 years old, ravaged his body, was in ICU for a month, When we finally thought he was getting better, a blood clot caused a stroke, and he died at 29 years old. I'm listening to all of these losses, and the word, the phrase, you said desperate for love, really jumped out at me. So I'm kind of, uh, there's no way to really tie a bow on all of this because loss is such a a messy and an ongoing process, just like grief is. But I'm curious, I wrote down... What did you used to believe about love and what is true for you now? I really didn't know what it was because I didn't have it. I thought I had it. I pretended I had it. I pretended we were the Brady Bunch. I was this happy soul inside, but because of the way my family was, which is because of the way, you know, my parents' parents were, it just went down generation to generation, I shut down. So I just knew I I wanted to find it. And I would get feelings of love from watching a show or reading a book, and I want to experience it myself in real life. And as I explained with my husband, I I that was that's one of my greatest life's lessons is is love, that unconditional love. He, he, he knew me for a year as this vivacious, happy person who was a dedicated mom and had this career and friends. And, and then I just, I just didn't know how to deal with grief. 
And the love he gave me, the support he gave me, he is a naturally resilient person. He knows how to express emotion. He would hug me. I wasn't used to hugging. He would hug me and not let go. And that felt like love. But but love is is seeing now my definition of love is that it's seeing the good in a person even when they're not showing it. And I've been able to come to a place with that of with my parents. I have huge compassion for my parents. And I see that they never were taught how to love. I imagine what their childhood was. I don't know why I was born so motivated to figure it out, but that's okay. I I I think life's about love. And I think we can find a loving space for anybody, anything, any situation. And it's just really contributed to how amazingly I thrive after all this loss. I wrote down what you said. Love is seeing the good in a person, even when they're not showing it. And yes. This is this is an this is a new definition of love for me. So my mind is kind of like, pardon me, while my mind gets blown uh, on the other side of this microphone. Um, I'm curious to talk more about your childhood and coming back from that experience. I know uh, the first question was kind of a listing off of your losses, but it sounds like you and some or all of your siblings experienced abuse at the hands of a babysitter and were not believed. And I, I kind of want to go into something that often happens in grief stories, which is being punished or ostracized for telling the truth of an experience. It's a horrible feeling. It feels, it feels, I, I, I had to let it go trying to figure it out. But it really was my first experience with grieving those still alive. Oh, good phrasing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Grieving those still alive is what I had to do because I couldn't shut down and just pretend and go back to being that robotic person. I, I wanted to heal. And... Healing for me didn't mean pretending nothing ever happened. And so I still can't fathom a parent denying their child. They not only called us liars, they criticized us. They, they dug up whatever they could to, I believe, try to make themselves feel better because they didn't know how to support us. They didn't say one kind thing. And I was ang really angry for a number of years. I hated them. That was the first time I experienced hate. <laughs> and boy, is that a, a driving force to have you figure out how to digest this in your life and go on in, in the way you always wanted to, being happy and, and having love. And it was really hard. But I've learned to only focus on what I can control. I can't control them. 
And if they ever approached me in a loving way, I'm there. But I had to break away because I couldn't continue to be beat down when I already (laughs) was at the lowest I could be realizing, you know, what happened. So I, I am in a place now where... I want to help others. Nobody, nobody was there for me when that happened. Nobody, nobody except my husband was, and he didn't know how to help me in a way grief professionals would, like those that are going to be on the cruise. I didn't have any help. So it motivates me to want to help people because I think when you're confused, the pain can be worse. You know, it's life. Life is messy and stuff happens and people get lost. But I'm in control of my journey. And that's been the biggest lesson through all of this. It's learning how to be in control. And this is what I teach others. It's not just understanding grief. It's removing limiting beliefs. It's very, it's very hard to think good of yourself when your parents reject you. <laughs> when something happened that was out of your control. I had a lot of low self-confidence that I didn't realize till I started learning about it. And some people will say, don't let anybody tell you how to grieve and don't take advice. Well, take information in as much as you can and then keep what works for you. That's how I turned my life around. That's how I got to a point where not only do I thrive, but I can't help not help others. I give them information in case it will inspire them not to do exactly what I did, but to say, wow. She's she shows the possibility. I can be in this low place, but I can also have a wonderful life. I love your response to this and I'm so interested in your idea of of control being in control of your life because there's a control that's that's insistent and stifling and almost like can't breathe, like too much structure kind of control and then there's a control yes. of uh, like responsibility, like ownership, like the power to choose, which is something I've talked about on this podcast before. Can you talk about how you went from a place that was so out of control, this this loss of family, this ostracizing of family, three divorces, the loss of your only child, these, these, these things that are so ingrained as out of control, spiraling dark spaces and came to a place, or maybe are still coming to a place, however that it can be phrased for you, where you feel like you are are in a space of that control. And what does that mean for you? The greatest, greatest lesson I learned came from neuroscientists, not grief experts, came from neuroscientists. Nobody ever teaches you how your thoughts work, how your mind works. And it's much simpler than people think. So we have our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. Our subconscious mind is like a supercomputer and it keeps track some, some think before you were born of every single experience you've ever had. Then there's your conscious mind, which is mindfulness and the things you're aware of. This is your free will. This is the gift you've been given to be control, in control of your life. 
So when I started thinking, I hate my family, I hate my family, I hate my family, I built a pattern in my subconscious mind. My beautiful, wonderful subconscious mind was just giving me back what I created. And those subconscious patterns can feel so strong. They're real and you feel like you can't change them. And that's how I was robotic. And that's how people get stuck in grief because they think they're not in control. When I learned waving through the neuroscientist scientific language, when I learned that all I had to do was create new patterns that I wanted that those unhealthy, unconstructive thought patterns would fade into my unconscious mind. And all it took was determination and patience. And once I, I realized that really works, I applied it to my whole life. I'm mindful most every moment. And I have created thought patterns in my subconscious mind that I want, not from my family, not from society, not from TV, not from people who want to give me advice, from my own heart and soul. And the most amazing thing is, once I started doing that, these inspirations started coming. It's like when I held on to all this negative energy, I, I couldn't feel those inspirations. Now I live by them. People call them by different names. Some say that's God, some universal, inten universal intelligence, the quantum field, angels. There is this universal, and this is, this is also connected to those who talk about um, from that book, The Secret, Manifesting, you know, there's this universal in intelligence now that guides me. And I, I never knew about or practice any of this. It just kind of happened. And now that's how I live every day. It's, it's, it's just an amazing way to exist. And that makes me feel in control. And I don't have to worry about what's going to happen, what had happened. I'm living in the moment, making decisions based on my desires and programming that subconscious mind with what I really want and love and believe. So if this is the first time that grief growers are hearing this concept of reprogramming the subconscious mind. We've talked about the brain a lot on this podcast, but maybe not the actual act of programming or yes. reprogramming. What are some first steps that they can take to maybe either recognize these stories, these beliefs that they're telling themselves and or uh, start to shift them to a place where they feel like they have more control over these thoughts. Yes. This is something that I uh, refer to as mind circling yep. and grief growers will have heard me say that. Before. What I teach people to do is pay attention to, especially their idle time. You know, how many times have you dr driven somewhere for 20 minutes and then got there and felt awful and realized, oh, geez, I've been thinking about this terrible thing that whole 20 minutes. Be mindful of idle time and then have some sort of reminder when you're first starting to do this. You can set an alarm. You can use post-it notes. You can tie a string on your finger. You got to get into the habit of being mindful. And then when you are paying attention I use the trigger of not feeling well to why am I not feeling well? It's always an unconstructive thought. So oftentimes we have 
certain thoughts, and I say unconstructive because instead of positive and negative, uh, someone recently, I'm reading a great book, calls it flowing thoughts or resisting thoughts. Have you want to look at it? What mm. thoughts are hurting you? What thoughts can you prove or not prove that are true? What thoughts are causing you suffering? And you can make a list of those. Then to change that subconscious pattern, you've got to be prepared. Now, when those old thoughts you don't want aren't from your own desires, when they come up, embrace them. Don't fight them because what you resist persists. So that thought comes up, but you're in control of your mind and you can practice this. Think of someone you love. Think of someone who frustrates you. You can control what you choose to think about. So you've got to be prepared when those thoughts come up with affirmations, with a gratitude list, with a book, a podcast, a TV show, something that is constructive that you like and love that you're going to feed into your subconscious mind to replace those thought patterns that you do not want. Where people get have trouble is it takes a little while. But not months. Okay, it takes a little while. And so if you're not patient and you succumb to those thought patterns you don't want, you're reinforcing them every time you do. For me, understanding how this process worked works hugely motivated me to uh, and and the more I did it, the more it worked, the happier I was, the more inspirations I received. I will never go back to being a prisoner of my subconscious thought patterns that I created because I didn't know any better. I didn't know one taught me that. And the reason grief people don't come across this information is because neuroscientists don't come up when you type in grief help. I just mm -hmm. happen to come across the information and say, huh, that makes sense. I really appreciate that answer in you. And I'm wondering, I want to transition into maybe what you were doing 20, 30 years ago and how you got started in the grief field. I was a perfectionist not realizing it back then to deal with my lack of self-confidence, I became a CEO of a huge medical practice with the surgery center and built, worked my way up in healthcare. And when my son died, I realized <laughs> that was not my purpose or my passion. There's so much politics and I always thought I was being the the good one taking on the jobs nobody else wanted, but those were the ones where you really had to deal with people who who weren't paralleled with your moral and ethical beliefs. So I, when I shut down after my son died for three years till I got sick of that, I I knew I wasn't going to go back to healthcare, and I. I started getting inspired to help people with grief. In fact, I started getting inspired to write a book because after that three years being a business person, I 
thought, I'm going to make a life action plan. That's how I'd go into medical practices and I'd turn them around. Everybody's trying to do everything at once. In a life action plan, you prioritize. And the strategy is one thing at a time. What you focus on, you get. So I took every area of my life and I, I focused on it and it was working. And I was having more joy and happiness and feeling alive than I ever, ever dreamed I would. And so I started thinking of writing a book about it. And then you hear people say, this book came out of me. That's what happened to me. <laughs> I, this book came out of me thriving after the death of a child. Here's how I did it. You might not do it the same way, but when you prioritize about your life and take one thing at a time, you will accomplish what you want to accomplish. And that's what interested me in the subconscious mind stuff. I thought that's how that worked. I was reprogramming my subconscious mind by focusing on this life I wanted, but I didn't even realize that's what I was doing. So I, like you, have said to me before, I want to help Get, provide to others resources, support, inspiration that I didn't have and I know would have prevented me from those three years that I was really self-destructive. I just didn't care about life. I didn't want to live. I was too afraid to die. I, I love it. And people will ask me, isn't that stressful? Isn't, isn't helping people with mm -hmm. grief? Isn't that depressing? It is the most wonderful, rewarding. I have goosebumps right now. It is the, it is my purpose. It is my passion. And I, I, I just love playing a small part in giving people back to themselves. Oh, say that again. Say that again. That was so beautiful. I love playing a small part of giving people back to themselves. Woo! I'm like cheering over here. This is wonderful. I, that gave okay. That gave me chills because in in grief, there's there's such a a stigma of okay, who can fix me? Okay, who can yes. make this all better for me? Okay, who can make this go away? And I'm like, no, no, that's yes. not why I'm here. I'm here to remind you that you're still here. Yes, and you're powerful. Wow, that was so well phrased. That was um, that was amazing. That's going to be my huge takeaway from this. That just brought me so much joy. <laughs> oh my gosh. People have the power to heal themselves. We just tell ourselves things that aren't true. I can't have joy again. I I can't get over this. It's not about getting over it. It's about continuing to live as we're supposed to live. You know, no matter what happens, life's unpredictable. It absolutely is. And there's no there's no guaranteeing. I tell folks on the podcast all no. the time, I said, I will never promise you that life will be better after loss. I can tell you it will look different and you have a lot of power in yes. how that looks. But in in terms of making it better, you don't know when grief will strike again um, and, and will will totally disassemble your life. Um, so really quickly, before we get into how you got involved with the bereavement cruise, I just have one last question. And that is, how do you take these affirmations and this mental rewiring with you into a world that is so focused on fear and on uncertainty? Um, I've had to learn that... I have to avoid certain things. So 
I I used to think, you know, I was born a sensitive, loving person. I feel energy. Some people call that an empath. And I learned, thanks to Dr. Judith Orloff, that being a sensitive person is a blessing. I used to try to teach myself to be hard and I can, you know, I can watch that movie and watch that new show and I protect myself now and I go where it feels right. And sometimes that's a woman who fell and is laid on the ground in front of a restaurant I'm walking into and while she's terrified waiting for 911, I'm holding her hands and letting her talk to me. And other times it's saying no to something that's unconstructive for me to listen to, be a part of. And uh, that for me, where I am right now in my life is balancing that is something that I'm super focused on. I I, uh, still work on the listening to myself and not what others think I should do, think, be... And it really makes a huge difference in my life. I say no to things I used to feel I had to say yes to everything. So it sounds like a lot of it is setting healthy boundaries, but also remembering that not everything that exists out there in the world is for you. Hmm. Exactly. And it's healthy boundaries for me and yet respecting others' boundaries. I, I, I don't have to be like my husband who can, you know, uh, watch horror movies and, and play Call of Duty video games. <laughs> I uh, focus on what, what works for me. And that, again, is being mindful of what's making me not mm-hmm. feel right. And is this something that I want to be doing right now or do I need to exit? If I were to bring my mother into this conversation, she she's like me. She's like, I need a lot of fluff. And I'm in that camp too. I can't take a lot of, you know, horror movies, even like Criminal Minds, anything that's like, yeah. these, you know, these situations. I'm like, I can't sleep for like three days now as a result of this. Yes. So, so, yeah, it's it's um, having to install a loving filter on your brain is yes. something that, that definitely you has got to it. happen. I love that. So uh, now I want to transition into how you got involved, like from how it went from a book to a business, to the community that you built to like, I think I'm going to take this on a boat. How did you get involved with the bereavement cruise? It's all inspiration. Sharon Ellers, who is the, uh, not sure if it's the owner or co-owner of Grief Reiki, I had a strong connection with her and she told me about it. And I thought, I just had this inspiration. I had just submitted a proposal for a workshop. Uh, I'm going to in St. Louis actually in a couple of weeks. And I thought, I just have a good feeling about this. And I sent in my proposal. I got a call the next day. I think I was on the tail end of them accepting proposals. And now I'm starting to connect with these 19 other amazing grief professionals like yourself. And it, and it feels like my tribe. <laughs> I just am so grateful to be a part of it and be able to share these lessons I've learned. I, they feel extraordinary to me. And if it helps a person even in the smallest amount, it's so worth it. 
I really feel led to be a part of this cruise. So what is going to be the workshop that you're teaching on board? Is it related to the brain, rewiring the brain, or is it something totally different that's still in line with the work that you do? Totally related to the brain because, and the brain actually is your fleshy part. The mind is our voice of the brain, which is thoughts, which is people don't understand how they work. And so they become prisoners of it. A belief is simply a thought that you have over and over again. So my workshop is strengthening resilience after loss. Resilience is the parts of you that remain strong after a loss, which is the death of a loved one or any other big change in your life. So you can get that resilience back. You can learn it. You can strengthen it by applying the skills that people can understand of how to control their own mind. And also we'll be talking about What's something that's so important to me is that you can have grief and joy at the same time. And again, that's related to how your mind works, mindfulness and making permission, giving permission to yourself to have joy. Some Somebody taught me long ago, you know, when you're grieving, you're, you're not supposed to have any happiness. It's not right. It's disrespectful. It dishonors the person who's gone. And it's just simply not true. I... When my son died, I had no happiness or joy for three years, and that is a living hell. When my stepson died last July, my husband and I had a horrible few weeks, and then, and, and we'll have some sort of grief forever, but then we got back to living in honor of him. And we, we wish things could have been different, but we let ourselves laugh. We we let ourselves have joy when something happy happens. It's it's understanding, again, that, that you have control to give yourself permission. Now, does it feel right to have joy, yes or no? Are you making the decision from your own heart or what you think from somewhere outside of yourself? You can have grief and joy at the same time. So I'm going to be talking about all of this. Mindfulness is a simple concept. It's, it's being aware of what you're thinking of. But if you don't understand how your mind works, it's really hard to change it because, okay, I'm mindful. I feel miserable. Oh, well, I, you know, I'm going to go have a drink or eat, eat a candy bar or uh, play a video game or go shopping. You, you can be in control of all of that. And, and so I, I love sharing this information. I think people get huge ahas and they just have to be willing to try it and practice it and their lives can change too. It is life-changing to discover or to remember even to remember that you are a mind yes, who has the power to choose. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I'm like, I'm so excited. I don't know if we're uh, allowed to come to other people's workshops. <laughs> um, oh, that's so exciting. Okay. We are. So I am going to sit too. in this one. <laughs> we are. I know. Because I think this is so fascinating. And it's, uh, you refer to the secret and you refer to affirmations. And for a, a lot of people that can come off as really flippant or um, like just tape a motto on the wall and, and that'll, sure. that'll help or remedy, you know, what's going on. But there is, there's something to be said about l- taking the time to examine what is going through your mind and actively working 
to shift that, maybe not necessarily to change it or flip it overnight, because like you said, it's not a matter of months. It's not that long, but it's also not an overnight thing either. It is a practice. Coming back is a practice you must engage with over and over and over again. And you can't just replace it with anything. You're replacing those subconscious patterns you don't want with something that you do believe in, with an affirmation that sings to your soul, with uh, with a TV show about something you're super interested in. You have to replace it. And that's the individual part. That's that's something coaches help people with is is what what's meaningful to you because you can't replace one negative thing with another negative thing that's from somebody else because they think it's great. It has to be what's great for you. Oh my gosh. Grief coming back, all of it is just so personal. Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to steer the boat. You have to be the one to steer the boat. Yep. Oh my gosh. You got it. Wow. This is so incredibly cool. Uh, really quickly before we go, I want to ask you uh, where people can find you, your book, your work, everything that you do online or in person. Everything's at my website, kathycheshire.com. Under the speaker page is the, the information about the cruise, about links to what everybody's presenting, plus details about what I'm presenting. I'm also going to be speaking at the Compassionate Friends who supports families who have lost a child. That's in St. Louis. Uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks, Friday, July 27th through July 29th. And then I'm contributing with Sharon also. I'm not sure who all the other contributors are, but Keith Lyons, who's a journalist, started a GriefWise book series. And he wanted a book that has most commonly held questions by grievers, the things people are so hesitant to ask. So he's got all these questions. He doled them out to grief professionals, and he's going to compile that into a book, might be called Grief 101 or something like that. But there'll be information on my website about that as well. I have resources whenever I come across thriving after loss resources, thriving, not just surviving. There's a ton of information on grief. I think I'm the only website that does that. If you're wanting to thrive, I've got the people and books and videos and information that uh, talks about that. So you are one giant resource hub. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on coming back today. I'm so excited to to share this wisdom of the mind with everyone and also share this workshop that you're leading, but also for those of us who cannot join us on the cruise this year, that there is always more. And Kathy is a lady who definitely provides it. Thank you, Shelby. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much to Kathy Cheshire for coming on Coming Back and challenging us to change the way we think about our lives in the aftermath of loss. Kathy came back by acknowledging her identity as an empath, redefining what love means, and by developing mindfulness tools that helped her reshape her thoughts post-loss. You can find a link to Kathy's website in the show notes. Join me Monday, October 22nd at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for my monthly hour-long Google Hangout. This, of course, is open to all Patreon patrons for the very first time ever, so I hope you'll join me there. Come sail with me and Kathy and all of your fellow grief growers on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise by requesting more information at comingbackcruise.com. 
If this show has changed the way you see grief and loss, go to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards for doing so. If you liked what you heard today, you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by telling a friend about coming back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Scythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby for Scythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.